0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me T Shawik. With increasing attention on mental health issues, the role of a psychologist as a healthcare provider has become central in supporting the mental well-being of our population. But what does a psychologist actually do. Do you listen to people talk about their problems all day long? What kind of training and qualifications do you need to pursue this as a career? And uh, is there a kind of personality that best suits this profession? So joining me in the studio today to share about this and more, clinical psychologist Sarah Zihan on our second episode of Humans of Healthcare. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thank you, Shao Ik, for having me. I'm good. Excited to do this. So, um, big question coming up, um, but mm-hmm. I guess it sets the stage. What exactly is the field of clinical psychology? Or maybe you want to approach it as what is it not?
1: Yep. Okay, so... To put very simply, uh, clinical psychology is the branch of psychology that deals with assessment, diagnosis, and treatment of mental illness, right? Um, We are not psychiatrists, so meaning we are not medical doctors who prescribe medication. um, And... I know that there's a general overlap between psychologists, clinical psychologists, um, psychiatrists, as well as counsellors, right? So there is an overlap, but the difference between a clinical psychologist and a counselling psychologist is that clinical psychologists work specifically with mental illness. We are trained to deal with mental illness, whereas um, counselling psychologists work with uh, mostly healthy individuals who are going through different kinds Of life stressors, um, like with school, career choice, uh, marital or family issues. Yeah. So, for example, um, you know, in a multidisciplinary center, which has a psychiatrist, uh, clinical psychologist, and counselor, what can happen is a couple can see a counselor for marital therapy. And if they find that, you know, they might believe that uh, a partner may have something like bipolar disorder they might um, refer the the partner to a psychiatrist and refer the partner to me um, for psychotherapy.
0: Mm, okay. Are there certain, I don't know, uh, perhaps misconceptions about the field of clinical psychology that you'd want to sort of dispel at this point as well? Yeah, yeah. Clinical
1: psychologists do not give you solutions to your problems, <laughs> right? Um, I think a lot of times when people come in, they expect... Uh, solutions. Tell me what to do, right? Unfortunately, that, that's not how uh, we work. Um, what we do really is to help you to be able to figure out what to do. Like, we work together. I don't necessarily give you the answer or the solution.
0: Why can't you? Uh, because, of
1: course, we want to uh, reduce the chances of dependency, right? Because then... Um, and, and also then you're putting the psychologist on this pedestal. Here is this wonderful person who has the answer, who can help me uh, with everything in my life. Right. Um, But what we want to do instead is we want to empower individuals to be able to to
0: know that they can come up with that answer themselves, to know that they are their own hero. And what then inspired you to go into this field where, you know, you are helping people to become (laughs) heroes, right? Yeah. um, So I guess...
1: It would be a mix of a few different things. I actually wanted to be a clinical psychologist since I was twelve years old. Oh. Yeah, so um, I was very curious um, about mental illness, um, especially how it was depicted. You know, back in the nineties where, you know, I'm thinking of certain characters like Hannibal Lecter, uh, thinking of Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind. I was very curious, like, how did they get like this? What happened to them? Uh, what was their childhood like? What were their parents like? You know, so I had all these questions. And at the same time, as a young person, I also had my own struggles. And I saw my friends, my family have struggles as well. And back to TV, you know, seeing shrinks or counsellors on TV, I was thinking, oh, how come we don't have something like this? Mm. Right? And and of course, um, now that I'm actually in the field or growing up or being more mature, I see that, okay, mental illness is not just about, you know, the Hannibal Lectors or um, individuals who, who see or hear things or have delusions. Mental illness is you know in your day-to-day person uh, it's in your mother who's struggling to hold a job and their kids it's in your corporate guy who's trying to hold it all together you know it's more common than we're aware of
0: mm. yeah. do you face uh, certain responses from your family when you said that you know you wanted to go into this <laughs> yes 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 especially since i was i was young
1: so the the field of clinical psychology was almost non-existent I guess other than how it was depicted back then like there was a lot of stigma a lot of misunderstanding um, about mental health so of course my family was was very concerned like what you know, uh, what type of job will you have? Where will you work? Are you going to work in a psychiatric unit? You know, uh, a lot of concerns, of course.
0: That, that stereotype yeah. in Malaysia, especially, of mental illness is the, that image of Tanjung Ramutan Hospital, exactly. right? Exactly.
1: That's exactly what my, my family said, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Have they changed since then?
1: Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, you know, why is this field important in healthcare as a whole, right? I mean, it's not medical, per se. Um, What is its contribution to our health though?
1: I like that you use the term healthcare, right? So I'm with an NGO called Relate Malaysia and our motto is there is no health without mental health, right? And I think that that's something that so many people take for granted, right? Many people take for granted how acute long-term stress has significant impact on our physical health, on our body, mm-hmm. right? It's related to things like lowered insulin resistance. It's related to stomach issues, related to headaches, pains. Um, so oftentimes I have individuals, um, I, mean, I mean, it's not uncommon to come across individuals who only come to see me after seeing all kinds of other medical specialists, right? They would have seen the, the the neuro the gastro and every one of them would have said the same thing the root of your issues your physical problems is actually stress right but it's because of the stigma about mental health that people feel reluctant to see uh, a psychologist or a psychiatrist they would rather see all kinds of other specialists mm-hmm. right and the stigma is that You know, if I have a heart problem, there's something wrong with my heart. If I have a liver problem, it's my liver that's failing. But if I have a mental health issue, I am the problem. Mm -hmm. It's not my beliefs or the way I think
0: of my lifestyle. It's me. And... How, how do you convince them it's not like them, right? It is, or it's not something wrong with your Ota which is another, you know, sort of really negative connotation that we have in our culture as well.
1: Correct, correct, correct. So I think it's about trying to separate between um, the individual and their diagnosis or the individual and their symptoms, right? It's like, yes, your Ota is the one that's, you know, perhaps... Um, leading you to to have all this perhaps anxiety or depression but the way that you think or the things that you think are not you mm-hmm. right so i mean of course it's it's something that that does
0: actually take some work
1: yeah so
0: let's look a little bit at what you actually do uh, in terms of the scope of your daily work. Is it like, they, like you saw on TV, right? Somebody <laughs> lies on your couch and they just talk at you. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, not so much, right? So on TV, it's like, you know, well, number one, there's not always a couch. They're most certainly not lying down, <laughs> right? And there's always this uh, perception that people come in and just kind of, Blah, vent out all their stuff Um, but it's really not like that it's very collaborative Um, it requires as a psychologist to pay a lot of attention a lot of brain juice (laughs) comes into play and actually psychotherapy is is it's a the main part of my work but that's not all I do right? So the main chunk of my work is the psychotherapy. But as a clinical psychologist, we're also trained um, to do things like assessments. So I may do assessments um, to diagnose for things like ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. Um, I also work with corporations. So I give talks and workshops. Um, I'm also a mental health trainer. um, So I train managers um, on how to talk to their teams about
0: mental health. Mm, that's really important these days, mental health in the workplace, isn't yes, it? Yes, correct.
1: So that means our, our scope is is always expanding, which is which is a good thing, really.
0: Mm, so you go from individual and, uh, you know, r- right up to working with groups of people as yes, well. Yes, correct. Systems, mm. their schools, yeah. Mm. But um, I guess something that, I mean, in the mainstay of your work is uh, is that one-on-one working with individuals, um, which is something that I want to get into a little bit more when mm-hmm. we come back from the break as well. I'm speaking today to clinical psychologist Sarah Zehan for our Humans of Healthcare series. We're featuring a clinical psychologist and you'll be able to find out, you know, what kind of training and qualifications do you need as well and uh, what are certain, I guess, career paths Pathways or um, job opportunities if you decide to study clinical psychology. So stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. For our Humans of Healthcare series today, we're featuring a clinical psychologist, Sarah Zehan, and we are finding out what is this field of clinical psychology, why is it important in improving our health, uh, and what kind of... Um, courses do you study? What kind of training and qualifications do you need to pursue this career? And Sarah has already explained that clinical psychology isn't just sitting there in your office listening to someone talk about their problems. You've mentioned the words collaborative. Um, You know, you need to um, help clients to figure out ways to support themselves and you're not there to give them the solutions and Just send them off home. Exactly. But, uh, and I guess if we zoom into the one on one um, therapy that you do, which I think is probably a big part um, of the job of a clinical psychologist, um, what does a day um, in the office look like for you?
1: Okay, so if we look at um, the therapy sessions. Uh, A day would look like... Well, nowadays, really, uh, it would look like a lot of appointments. Um, A lot of, I think, uh, people just coming in and
0: out. Mm. Um, How how would you approach, um, especially, I guess, working with a new client and especially somebody who has no idea what it is to see a clinical psychologist, has no idea what therapy is like? You know, how would you um, get to know them set them at ease, and get started on the therapy part of things?
1: Um, Yeah, and I think that that is a a good question and I think a really tricky part of our job sometimes uh, because, you know, we need to, first and foremost, before we can do any kind of, of treatment... Uh, We need to first and foremost build a relationship, right? We need to build that rapport. They need to know that they can trust us. And I think that's really um, about how the psychologists may carry themselves. So as psychologists, it's important for us to, you know, be empathetic, right be curious we may think that you know okay we've undergone the training we've been in this profession for a while uh we've seen so many clients i know it all we cannot come in with that kind of um, attitude right it's always about being curious about who is this person that's in front of me what is their story and really being willing to 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 be there with them at whatever stage that they're at right sometimes people may not be ready for you know some like a big change right, it may be hard enough just to tell somebody about about what's um, going on, right? And so I think respecting that mm-hmm. and just being able to be with client, um, if they're there, you know, really, they're not ready to collaborate with you on anything, they just want to sit down and tell you what's going on, then that's, that's, that's what we're, we can do for now, right? And mm-hmm. I think having that respect is something
0: that's very important in building that relationship. Is that... Do you have like this boundless amount of empathy? I mean, surely there are some days where you go like, I'm not in the mood to listen to any of this. (laughs) What do you do then? I mean, I guess we, yes, we all have those grumpy days, even as a professional.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Psychologists also have days where they don't want to get out of bed. Um, So I think having a a routine, a regular routine to help me kind of, Set the mood, I think, is number like, you know, very, very important. Um, you know, having support, right, peer support is also very important. Uh, so having a, a close group of people who you can talk to when you're going through a challenging time or experience, you know, having an experience with a challenging client, um, that's really important, Mm -hmm. right? Because uh, part of the helping profession um, is empathy burnout, right? That we really want to to try to to prevent and that can really become a a problem if the therapist or the psychologist is not taking care of themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there a certain kind of personality that's needed to be a clinical psychologist?
1: Um well I guess like as as I was saying earlier number 1 it's really important to be curious. Right. So being investigative or, you know, people want to know how did this happen? Who are the people around? Uh, when did it start? You know, all of those things are, are very important. Having that kind of inquisitive mind um, and a broad mind is very important. Um, being pro-social, obviously. Right. Really wanting to help others, um, being empathetic and sensitive to the feelings of others, which I think also requires uh, A bigger responsibility to also take care of yourself Uh, right yes and I think thirdly which people don't often realize and I think I've only realized after working for a while is that it's important to also be creative because as we are you know because we're working with so many different individuals who have different you know sets of issues uh, different backgrounds so it's Like we're creating A different kind of therapy For different individuals So it's not just A manualized. This is CBT Step one Step two Step three This is what you do Um, It can't be like that You Mm -hmm. have to Be willing to Think outside the box You have to be
0: willing To try new things Um, Yeah And that comes on the job As well doesn't it Yeah Yeah definitely Mm -hmm. So on that note You've mentioned Empathy burnout You've mentioned You know You have to take care Of yourself first So Have you, you know, sort of struggled with your own mental health as a mental health professional, right? And how do you cope with that?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, So, you know, of course, other than being a psychologist, I'm also a mom, right? And that comes with its own challenges, uh, trying to juggle everything. Um, So I've dealt with my own mental health difficulties. So I think, like I say to anyone, um, awareness is key. Like, you really have to be aware when that, those stress levels are going up, when you're feeling not okay, um, and then being able to trust that the people around you will help you out. So I reached out to, to a supervisor uh, at my workplace who helped me to kind of um, offload some things, uh, manage my time better, uh, I think manage my own expectations about how much time I need to put in work all of those kind of things yeah that just, was really important
0: and it sounds like um, something we all no matter whatever job you're in yeah exactly. whatever family situation you have um, it's something we need to know how to do right
1: yes 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 and you know just as there is no health without mental health there is also no mental health without health right I think we take for granted um, how much things like sleep what we eat um, physical activity has to do with our mental health mm. so for me having having a routine in terms of um, exercise and fitness is something really important because I said, you know, talking and listening requires a lot of brain juice, right? So if I'm not keeping myself active or if I'm not uh, eating food to nourish myself, I do not have the energy to, to take in, you know, all, this, all mm-hmm. this information.
0: So how do you become a clinical psychologist um, in terms of the degree or any postgraduate qualifications, if you can walk us through that?
1: Yeah. So in Malaysia, the minimum requirement um, to become a clinical psychologist is to have a master's in clinical psychology. Um, so you would do the standard degree, which takes about three to four years. The degree is in uh, psychology. psychology? Um, if, you, if you do not have a degree in psychology, you can take on an additional certification, I think, in applied psychology. I think that takes... A year, and then uh, most universities will, will accept that and allow you to do your master's. Um, so the master's program takes two years. Um, it used to be really, really competitive actually, because for the longest time there were only two universities in Malaysia that offered the program, and they only took in 10 students each year. Right. So you'd have hundreds of students who would want to join the program, but only 20 get through a year. Mm. Right. So thankfully, um, now there are a lot more local universities um, that have offered the program. Right. So after you complete the two years master's, which includes your practicum training uh, and there are like there's a minimum minimum number of hours that you would need to complete in order to register with the Malaysian Society of Clinical Psychology to become a registered
0: clinical psychologist. And you can only practice clinical psychology if you're registered with the um, association? Um, well, it's a little bit tricky right now
1: because the health ministry has, uh, we have the allied, prof- allied health professions, but we're not able to register yet. So uh, it's it's something that's new, and so I think registrations can be up to like end of twenty twenty four. Yeah. Mm. So currently, best practice is to check with MSCP. But in the future, uh, clinical psychologists will have to be registered under
0: the allied health profession. Mm, okay. Um, are these courses available in both private and public universities? Yes. They yes, are. they are. Mm. Yeah. So what do you study um, in in this master's course? Okay, so because our
1: job scope um, is quite broad, uh, so we study, of course, the basic things um, like. You know, the different modalities that's involved in therapy, um, which include things like cognitive behavior therapy. Um, We study uh, statistics and research. Um, We also study uh, psychological testing, which is basically knowing the different tools that are needed and how to use them to test for things like... um, Uh, for IQ, uh, for attention span, yeah, things Mm. like that, that would help us to diagnose for um, ADHD or other kinds of intellectual uh, issues. Sounds very rigorous. Yes, it's a a very (laughs) full-on program, really full-on. And, um, you know, other than the the subjects that we take, um, of course, at the same time, uh, we're also doing uh, our practicum training. And along with our subjects, I think is also a lot of personal work. When we are studying family therapy or cognitive behavior therapy, we're not re- we're not just kind of reading out the cases on the textbook. We're also kind of required to work on ourselves, mm-hmm. right? To to share our own family experiences, to go into our own um, beliefs and automatic thoughts, what have you. So. Yeah, so not only is it kind of taxing In the sense where there's a lot to to study And a lot of assignments and things like that But it's also taxing on us personally
0: Mm, Especially in our culture We're not used to that kind of um, self-analysis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. Uh, And you talk about practicum And and I know that, um, you know Even when we go to certain um, places that offer therapy You can work with a trainee psychologist first, right? Yeah, so... If you can think back, you know, what was it like with, in the first few times, whether it was during practicum or when you first started working, really diving into that deep end of working with a real life client? <laughs> uh, well, I think I just remember it
1: being like being thrown into the ocean, not knowing how to swim. Um so I think, you know, as, as a trainee and your clients know that you're a trainee, so perhaps they're a little <laughs> bit more forgiving. Um, right. But definitely it was very scary, very in, in, intimidating um, experience. But of course, we are very closely supervised. Right. So I think it's also our responsibility to be willing to learn Right. To be willing to own up to, you know, uh, mistakes or what could have gone better. Mm. Yeah. So I think in part of that practicum training in that role, that's very important.
0: Mm. What have been some highlights uh, or some really memorable moments of your career so far? Uh, Well, when I think about
1: memorable moments of my career so far, uh, it's more about the people that I work with, you know, rather than about myself, Uh, especially when I work with young people. I'm talking like teenagers, right, because at the moment they make up the highest amount of um, individuals going through mental health struggle. So those 16 to 24 year olds um, working with them really has been very inspiring and, and very motivating. Right, because they have gone through so much, right, at such a young age, um, at uh, you know their development, where they're still really trying to understand themselves and the world around them, and um, you know I work with individuals who have been through, have been to psychiatric units, um, you know, uh, at you know in the middle of their exam year, things mm-hmm. like that, and witnessing them struggle. And then overcoming the challenges is really inspiring. Mm-hmm. And it's really when we as the professional do our job to, you know, provide them the diagnosis with psychoeducation, helping them understand that, you know, you are not alone. You are not weird or freaky, right? There is a name for what you have, whether it's, you know, anxiety disorder or what you had is a panic attack or you have ADHD, right? Right. Giving them a name frees them up so much, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, helping them understand that this is just a part of you, right? It's you have depression and you, you know, are really good at math or and, you know, you're a visual thinker or you're really good with your words. And how, how can, you know, what can we do about that? And it's also about putting different systems together, like helping their parents to to know how to support them, um, helping their schools to know what to do to support them. And when we can put all those things together, you know, they, they can really thrive. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think about moments in my career, working with these individuals really stand out for me.
0: What about difficult moments, um, challenges, especially um, with the increasing burden of mental health issues in our population? Yeah. um, You know,
1: especially after the pandemic, you know, uh, it's it's been a really challenging and difficult time in mental health, Um, I think, uh, because there is really not enough data out there, like we've never been through a pandemic, right? And with clinical psychology, our work is based on research, it's based on evidence. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that's currently happening, what data do we have? Um, You know, so uh, I think that's, that's the challenging part about really uh, understanding what, what's going on. Um, how can we help? I mean, I know that there are a lot of kind of global trends that have come, come up, like, you know, the, the great resignation, but, um, you know, people just feeling really mad.
0: Right. And then languishing.
1: To, yeah, languishing. Exactly. So is it a COVID thing or is it a mental health thing? Is it both? Um, how, how do these things kind of affect people? So I think the challenge right now is that there are still things that we're, we're trying to understand. And these are things that we're still kind of observing the after effects of that right now. So
0: what do you mean when you say that, you know, as clinical psychologists, your work is based on data and research? Mm. Because isn't it about just who's sitting in front of you and how you can help them?
1: Yep, it is about the person sitting in front of us and how we can help them. But how we can help them uh, or how we know how to help them is based on, you know, extensive data and research over the past many, many years, right, You know, 30, 40 years of research you're talking. Right. Um, It is about what is the best practice. Right. What do we know works for people? It is not just kind of, oh, I think, you know, I think if I say this or I think if I, you know, uh, get my client to do this, this seems helpful. It's not like that. Right. So whatever that we're trained to do. Is uh, something that has been shown to work over over many many years over you know with certain type of clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you mentioned that you work with an NGO for one. You provide therapy, you do assessments, and uh, you even uh, give talks and work with corporations. Um, you know, in terms of looking at the systems, right? So. Um, Other than, uh, I guess, those uh, job areas, are there other job opportunities for clinical psychologists or or different types of roles they could play? Yes, sure. Um,
1: So clinical psychologists also, of course, uh, lecture and teach. Uh, We're also supervisors. Um, Some clinical psychologists also have opportunities to work in school settings. Um, They may also be employed by a corporate organisation. Um, And there are, you know, with additional training, psychologists, clinical psychologists can also work with um, like children uh, with autism. Right. So providing behavior therapy.
0: Yeah. So, you know, are there then mm, sort of uh, new skills and competencies that clinical psychologists would have to train in um, no matter how long you've been in a job? Are there? Yeah, you're nodding a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess that continuing professional development, how important is that in your career?
1: Super important. Like I'm, I'm nodding a lot because um, in, in the program itself, in the master's program, uh, yes, we do learn about the different modalities, but there are so many. Right There's all kinds of cognitive therapies. Um, there's psychodynamic type of therapies, humanistic type of therapies. It's import- It's impossible to cover them all in those two years mm-hmm. on top of everything else that we're also learning, right? So most master's programs focus on one type of therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, because it's the most extensively researched type of therapy. But it is really up to the professional after that to explore what else is out there, what else may work. Um, And even if you, uh, you know, have really sort of studied CBT extensively, there are always additional things um, that you could learn. Mm -hmm. And it's really right now it is uh, our responsibility to continue studying, continue learning. But eventually, um, it will actually be a requirement as it is for psychiatrists and counsellors to continue to, to to learn because they will get like these points. Right,
0: Yeah, for your uh, registration. CBE, correct, for our registration. Mm. And, and uh, I guess looking at the big picture of the profession in the country, how have you seen the field develop here in Malaysia? I mean, we talked about, you know, when you were growing up, it was almost unheard of, right? Yeah. How have you seen it change? And I, I guess also looking at uh, the numbers of clinical psychologists we have, where could it be improved? Okay, um, so let's
1: go to the, the the first part of the question first, in terms of how it's it's progressed over the years. Uh, so I've been in the mental health field since 2011 when I was an assistant psychologist, right? So back then, uh, working with a clinical psychologist would be hush-hush, right? Uh, even if we dealt with corporations, it would be with the HR. No yeah. one should know, you know, uh, very silenced. Uh, but nowadays, especially after the pandemic, you know, that's that's changed so much. Everyone's talking about mental health. Uh, depression, anxiety is something that I think should be should kind of be general knowledge, as as, as you know, as known as uh, uh, as physical health, yes. right? Um, we have. Uh you know, country heads and CEOs sitting with clinical psychologists, asking us what what they can do to help their organizations, to help their people. It's it's really wonderful, actually. So I think even in government schools um, now, they go through uh, DAS, the DAS scale, Depression Anxiety and, and Stress scale, to screen for students who may have uh, depression or anxiety or high levels of stress. And this is, I think, practiced from two onwards. Right. I actually think it should it may actually have to be younger nowadays um but yeah it's it's grown so
0: much yep. and it's really encouraging mm-hmm. but do we have um enough <laughs> clinical psychologists right to deal if you're increasing that sort of <laughs> awareness and demand exactly. um, can you uh, supply, can you supply the the care needed right
1: yeah um at the moment i would say no <laughs> right so um With uh, MSCP, our association, I think there are only about 400 registered clinical psychologists. Um, But the number of people who have uh, mental health-related issues in our country is really increasing. Um, You know, I think pre-pandemic, the number was uh, about 29% of our population, right? So let's just say that's... 10 million people, mm-hmm. right? Yep. 10 million people and only 400 psychologists. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just about the supply, but where are they supplied at, yep. right? So where we're at within a 20-minute radius, I can name about five psychotherapy centers. But in terms of, um, you know, our, our government f- facilities, there are not many posts um, for clinical psychologists. so. An individual who may not be able to uh, to afford private health care, um, they would have to wait sometimes one to three months to get an appointment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So are they in the lower income communities? Are they in schools, right, yes. um, where you can at least um, work with young people before problems become more prominent? So if you are listening and thinking um, you want to b- build up that number yeah. from 400 to more, um, stay tuned because um, we will be asking Sarah some questions that you uh, maybe on your mind, uh, some burning questions for a clinical psychologist uh, that may help you make that decision. I'm speaking today to clinical psychologist Sarah Zehan for our Humans of Healthcare series. Stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with Me, T. Shao Ik. On today's episode of Humans of Healthcare, we're featuring a clinical psychologist, Sarah Zehan. We've been having a fascinating conversation about what a clinical psychologist does, and um, she has uh, sort of dispelled so many myths and misconceptions about this field and this profession and how um, people, healthcare professionals like her, help people. Um, To deal with stressors as well as with uh, mental health issues, you know, if if, uh, they are diagnosed. Now, if you had 10 minutes with a clinical psychologist, what would you ask them? Here are some questions we came up uh, with for Sarah. Um, Firstly... How does it feel to listen to people's problems um, emotional problems right all day how do you maintain a professional distance from your clients and not sort of get sucked into the uh, into their problems
1: really really good and important question um, because as psychologists when when we listen we're not just listening with our ears right we're listening with our eyes you know looking up for their body language we're also listening with our hearts because um, of course, we care about the people that we work with, and um, it can definitely you know take a toll it can definitely um, be be tiring I think so that 's why it's important for us to to really take care of ourselves as the one who's doing the doing the listening. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there times when your clients don't improve even after you 've been helping them for a long time? do you get demotivated? I would say yes um. And I think what's important there
1: is if clients don't improve, you know, before we kind of hit that demotivated point, uh, it's important, um, you know, because as psychologists, it's not just we don't work alone. So even though you've had many years of experience working, you still have a supervisor, ideally. Right, so before it hits that point where you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this anymore, um, it's important to to reach out to your supervisor to let them know what's what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of our responsibility as a professional to to kind of know um, where where that benchmark is.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, another question: Can just any psychologist deal with or, or you know help clients because some um, there are many different fields of uh, or sort of like subfields within psychology, right? Yes, yes,
1: correct. Um, so it's important to make sure that uh, whichever psychologist that you're going through, that you go to is actually trained to work with clients, right? So there are clinical psychologists, there are counseling psychologists, there are organizational psychologists. Um, so you want to make sure that part of their um their program or part of their training is actually involved in working with mental health related issues or mental illness specifically Mm -hmm. yeah so not all psychologists um, can provide therapy
0: and um, for someone who has studied clinical psychology though um, if they feel that working with clients doing therapy and things like that is not a fit for them what else can they do yep yeah, so this is something that that can actually
1: happen, so a person can go through the clinical psychology master's program and feel like, okay, this is not for for me right I'm uh, being a therapist is not for me. so they can actually go into teaching right they can actually go into research, which is
0: very, very important work mm. um, I think to wrap up, Sarah. Words of wisdom for those listening today who may be interested in this career. Why would you encourage them to pursue it? And actually, I mean, I was thinking of of it as you know, how would you encourage young people today to pursue it? But it's not just for like people coming out of school, right? Yeah, no,
1: not at all. Um, you know, I have colleagues uh you know even when i was doing the masters program my 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 peers had gone through a whole you know career in corporate or or something else right and you know in their 40s or 50s decide okay i want to i want to do this like i think this is something that i want to do especially now that there are more opportunities to do so um so yeah not just young people anybody right people of all ages um This field is something that is still in its infancy, um, which makes it a very kind of exciting field to be in because there's so much work that needs to be done. um, And, you know, people of Malaysia need you. Right. So if you feel like, you know, after what you've heard today, this is something that you want to go into,
0: please. Thank you so much, Sarah. I think you have inspired um, you know, our listeners to at least think about and start finding out more about clinical psychology and that's what we've been talking about on this episode of Humans of Healthcare with clinical psychologist Sarah Zehan. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind download the BFM app